0: Luke chapter 12 we are continuing for those of you who this is your first time here we've been working through the parables of Christ and we're going to be continuing working through parables and so what we're going to do today is we're going to turn our attention to a parable that is commonly called the rich fool and that's going to be picking up in Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 13 we're going to read That parable of the rich fool, and then we're gonna read also the follow up section after that. So we're gonna read from 12 and we're gonna cover, or excuse me, uh, 13 and we're gonna cover through 34. So Luke 12, chapter 13, we're gonna work through verse 34, what has been commonly called the parable of the rich fool, as most of us probably have that little heading in our Bibles. Let's go ahead and read God's word together. Someone in the crowd said to him, this is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Church, what I want us to see today in this passage of Scripture is the strong warning of Christ against covetousness. The warning of thinking that material possessions is what life is all about. I want us to see the foolishness of laying up treasure for ourselves and not being rich toward God. I want you to see, church, the foolishness to think that life consists in the abundance of your possessions. And I also want you to see, in contrast to that, to the teaching of Christ and the priorities of the gospel for God's people. For us to be rich in what matters to God. For us not to be concerning ourselves in anxious toil and worrisome, lest we be consumed with money and miss out on the kingdom. And I think we need to be warned. Brethren, we need to be warned against covetousness and the desire to be rich. It pulls at the heart. This is a sin that if we were to be honest with ourselves, we all have to deal with. That temptation... To strive after wealth, to think that getting all you can get in this world is all that life consists of. Brethren, this cuts right to the heart of man. Ever since the beginning, since the fall, man has struggled with covetousness and greed and lusting for more and more and more. And this is what leads people astray. So it leads to destruction. And, church, I want you to see here the, the, the twofold teaching of Christ. How we have two things going on here. On the one hand, we have a strong warning. Jesus gives us a strong warning of judgment for those who forget God, who lay up treasure for, the, for, for selfish pleasure. And on the other hand, we get Christ as the good shepherd, discipling and teaching his disciples what it means to be a kingdom citizen, what it means to follow after Christ, what true discipleship looks like. And I think this fits the context very well in Luke. Most of our parables, as you guys have, uh, know, the last few weeks have been coming out of Matthew. And so this is the first time we're, we're diving into Luke. And I think this, this idea of this, of this twofold teaching of, of weaving together a warning of judgment wrapped up in teaching on discipleship fits the context of Luke. Now we come in uh, the middle of Luke, we're, we're in chapter 12, obviously, and we come right in the beginning of the section that, that that's often called Luke's travel narrative. And this section begins in Luke 9.51, where Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem, and it continues all the way through chapter 19. And, and what we have in this section is a lot of instances of Jesus teaching on discipleship on his way to Jerusalem. But that's not all that we see. So before this, just, let, let's just go back real quick a couple chapters. I want to kind of lay some, some context and some groundwork here before we get started. We have in chapter 9, kind of the, the section before this turning point in Luke. And if you mark in your Bibles, that's fine. If you don't, then that's fine too. But Luke 9.51 is the turning point in Luke's Gospel. And so before this, what we see is we see Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. We see Jesus performing miracles that demonstrate His authority. And also we see him calling his disciples to himself. And then right before Luke 9.51, we get the, the, the climax of this section here in Luke 9.21, excuse me, 18, 18 to 20, where we have Peter confessing who Christ is. He is Christ, the Son of God. And then right after that, in in verse 21 of Luke chapter 9, you have Jesus giving his passion predictions that he is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then right after that, he says, that's where I'm going. If you want to follow after me, take up your cross take up your cross that's what discipleship looks like die to yourself take up your cross and follow after me and then we get to luke nine fifty one, the turning point here and we read this when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to jerusalem so the days were drawing near and jesus sets his face to go to jerusalem he is resolved he is resolved to go there and on the way he will teach on discipleship. But what I also want us to see and to recognize is, is woven into this section are warning after warning of judgment coming upon Jerusalem, coming upon that entire religious system, that unfaithful, unbelieving people that we will see climax in Luke chapter 21, which is parallel to Matthew chapter 24, which we have referenced a number of times the last couple of weeks, of the destruction of Jerusalem. And brethren, the new way comes through the old passing away. And so Christ, in Luke 9.51, has set His face to go to Jerusalem. It is in Jerusalem where God will accomplish the salvation of His elect once and for all through the substitutionary death of Christ. Christ will go to Jerusalem. He will die in the place of His people and He will accomplish redemption. And that'll be for the true bride. And also it'll be in Jerusalem, that city that kills and stones those who are sent to it where God will bring judgment on an unfaithful covenant-breaking idolatrous people. And brother, what, what I want us to see here is, is, is the backdrop in the Old Testament to this, this turning point in Luke, where Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And we're going to see warning mixed in with discipleship. And I want us to understand the backdrop here. So I want you to see the backdrop of, of Luke 9.51 setting his face, Jesus, to go to Jerusalem. Flip back with me to Leviticus chapter 26. And I think the context here is extremely important, and we'll kind of see that as we go through. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. And in this section here, if I could just give us a brief overview, you have this this long chapter of blessings for obedience and also the punishment for disobedience. And I think the headings here are potentially going to help us here. So in in the first, uh, let's see, 16 verses or so, uh, 13 verses, we have the blessings for obedience. If the people will obey the covenant, they will be blessed. And we kind of see this kind of culminate in verse 11, where God says that I will make my dwelling among you. And verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God. And then we get the section of punishment for disobedience starting in verse 14 to the covenant people. In verse 14, he says this. This is the Lord speaking. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic and wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat. Now notice here verse 17. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. So we have this section here where... We get Yahweh says, the Lord says in verse 17 that if you're going to be disobedient and break the covenant, then I will set my face against you, and followed by a lot of this language of of warnings of desolation. Desolation is going to come. I'm going to lay your land desolate, and we see this in verse 31. The sanctuaries will be made desolate. In 33, we see desolation of the land. 34, the the land will lie desolate. 35, as long as it lies desolate. And also in 43, the land will be desolate. So you get these warnings of judgment that God will set his face against his people. And the warning of being desolate, which is language, brethren, that we see all throughout Matthew and Luke of warnings of Jerusalem if she will not repent. And the Lord says in verse 17, I will set my face against you. That's the exact language we get in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus will set his face. It's the same exact phrase. It's the same exact thing here. And as the Lord will set his face against a covenant-breaking people in Leviticus chapter 26, Jesus will set his face to go to Jerusalem. And also... I want us to go back real quick uh, to Luke. Just by way of introduction, laying some groundwork here. I want you to turn to a, ver, chapter 11 and look at verse 20 of Luke. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, as we, as we think about these warnings of judgment, warning after warning, We see Jesus here in the context is casting out demons and he is charged that he is casting out by the prince of demons. And Jesus says in verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's the same phrase back in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 17 of God setting his face against the people. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom has come. The king is here. If you do not repent and believe in the king, then the kingdom has come against you. It has come upon you. And then he says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. and Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Pick the side you're going to be on. Believe the gospel. Believe in the king. Warnings of judgment. And so what's the point here? Well, this is the point that I'm trying to make. And what I want to argue for here is that in the parable of the rich fool, the epitome, brethren, the epitome of the rich fool is unfaithful Jerusalem. A warning of judgment on a rebellious people who were like all the surrounding nations Forgetting God, ignoring God, striving after wealth, consumed with luxurious living, whose priorities were out of line, who used their material blessing not for God's glory, but for selfish ends, and who ultimately forfeited the kingdom. And church, I want you to see as the true bride of Christ, to, to heed the warnings. Heed them, brethren. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness and greed, and storing up treasure for yourself, and not being rich toward God. Church, I want you to see the the tender shepherding of the cheap shepherd, instructing his little flock, his disciples, to succeed, where that unfaithful people failed. That we would use, church, God's blessing for God's glory, and not our own advancement in this world. So, with that as the backdrop, warnings of judgment weaved in with discipleship, what does it mean to follow Christ? Let us look at the parable in Luke chapter 12 together. We're going to see the occasion of the parable, verse 13 and 14. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? Jesus here is is teaching. He is walking. He is on his way to Jerusalem. And we see these crowds. You see back in verse 1 that there are a lot of people following after him. So many thousands, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. So you have this this big crowd. You get this guy. He kind of shouts out, you know, teacher, rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, it's common, or it wasn't uncommon, certainly, for for rabbis to get involved in family disputes. So there's a family dispute over, over some land here, but Jesus will have nothing to do with it. This man is preoccupied with money. He is concerned about getting his own. He is not heeding the teachings of Christ. And Jesus says in verse 14, he says, man, stranger, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And then he takes that opportunity to give a teaching moment here. And he looks, turns from the, the man and turns to the crowd, and he says to them in verse 15 Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And what I want us to see here, church, are two strong warnings here take care and be on your guard. Take care, beware. It's a command. Beware and keep on bewaring. Don't just beware one time. We need to have a life of, of, of bewaring, being watchful, and be on your guard. This speaks to uninterrupted vigilance. It's a military term. It speaks of watchfulness, alertness, paying attention against all covetousness. All forms of it, brethren, All forms of it. When you see someone having a a job that's making them a lot of money, you don't covet their job. When you see someone being blessed by God, you don't covet what God is doing in their life. When you see that your wife or your husband is not the wife or the husband that you desire him or her to be, you ought not covet someone else's husband or wife or their home, or their family life, or their children, or their car, or whatever it is, brethren, all forms of it. Be on your guard against all covetousness, the longing for more, the being consumed with material possessions, as if that's the true meaning of life. Be on your guard. It's a sin that needs constant watching and frequent warnings, brethren. Constant. Whether you are rich or whether you are poor in this world, you better be on your guard. Pay attention. Why? Because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Or as one translation puts it, it's not measured by. Brethren, life is not measured by how much stuff you have or don't have. Life is more than that. We know all too well of the danger of thinking that we must have our best life now. We knew all too well of those who look at their life and they think, because I don't have what I want, I will run out to the world and I will get my needs met. And they abandon Christ and they walk away. We knew all too well of that, brethren. We knew all too well. The world has a lot to offer you. And you can get all your wants, all your desires from the world but it will cost you your life. Brethren, what would it gain you and what would it profit you if you gained the whole world but forfeited your soul? Those who strive, brethren, for having treasure laid up for themselves, if that that is what you're longing for, treasure for yourself, stuff for yourself, so you can indulge in luxury, You're you're in danger of judgment. You're in danger of the wrath of God. Those who think that life is about having bigger and better barns are in danger. Church, you better be on your guard. It's subtle. It's subtle. Consider the fool. Verse 16 to 21, look at what he says. Jesus tells him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Look at what the fool, the rich fool is concerned with. He's concerned. Where am I going to store my crops? Brethren, the blessings were flowing in plentifully. Plentifully, we read here in verse uh, 16. His land produced plentifully, and he is thinking to himself and he's concerned with where am I going to put all my stuff? He's not thanking God. He's not thinking how this could be abused for the kingdom to display God's glory to the nations. He's concerned with my crops. Brother, let me remind you that they're not your crops, those crops belong to God. It is God who blessed the land. It is God who gave the rain. It is God who gave the wealth to that rich fool. And he got to be concerned with how to best use it for the advancement of the kingdom. Not for selfish pleasure and, and, and ease and comfort. You know what he's not concerned with? He's not concerned with his soul. He's not concerned that he will give an account and stand before the living God. He's not concerned if what he is doing is pleasing to the Lord, and he is working. He's not just doing nothing, he's working. He's tearing down those barns that were already filled so he can build larger ones and bigger ones to store all of his grain. What you see there in verse 18, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Brethren, he's resolved. I will. I will, I will tear down. I will do this. I will store all my grain. I will say to my soul, I will, I will, I will. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Indulge, live it up. But God says to him in verse 20, fool, fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and all these things you have prepared, whose will they be? Judgment came upon this man unexpectedly. It comes unexpectedly. It came sudden upon him. He was not ready to give an account. This very hour you will stand before God, and all this stuff, whose will it be? I'll tell you whose it'll be. It'll be taken away from that man, and it'll be given to a faithful people who's producing the fruits of the kingdom. This man will, re- will lose that inheritance and it'll be given to another. And so Jesus says in verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Fool. Not rich in what matters to God. Not rich in faith. Not rich in good works. Not rich in the fruits of the Spirit. Not rich in prayer. Not rich in evangelism. Not rich in Christian virtues. None of it. Not rich toward God. All those blessings poured in. But instead of using it for the kingdom, to exalt the king, they were heaped up for selfish and luxurious living. And what did we read about Jerusalem? In Ezekiel chapter chapter 16, she was adorned with gold and silver, fine linen, advancing in royalty, but trusting in her beauty, outplaying the whore, trusting in her wealth rather than trusting in God, taking her favored position for granted and using it as a means of idolatry, brethren, indulging in the things of the world. What do we read in, in Revelation chapter 18? Flip over there with me real quick. I want to show you this. The language here, brethren, that you would heed the warnings. The language of, 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 of luxurious living here in chapter 18 in her abuse of that wealth. You get it in 18 verse 3. If you look at the end of verse 3. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Look at verse 7 as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. Verse 9, all the kings of the earth commit sexual immorality and live in luxury with her. Look at verse 14, the fruit for which your soul long has gone from you, all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. And in verse 16, The exact same language we get in in Ezekiel chapter 16. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. All that wealth, brethren, came as a result of the promise of blessing in, in, in Leviticus 26. A promise of blessing. God blessed the land. He blessed the people. And instead of of, of using it for God's kingdom and the advancement of His glory, she abused her wealth. God had made her a great commercial center. And her judgment, brethren, was swift and it was sudden. Verse 17, For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste, desolate. Fool, this night Your soul is required of you. And brethren, this ought to be a warning to us all. To beware. To be on our guard against all covetousness. So that the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God is foolish. Brethren, it is foolish to chase after a worldly kingdom and thus in doing that, forfeit the eternal kingdom. Don't be a fool. And what do we read in Scripture? Flip with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. About this this warning of striving after wealth. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me. And storing up treasure for self. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, brethren, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Brother, do we not hear that in Scripture? Do we not see that in Scripture, brethren? The warning of that. Do we not read of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 holding back some of the proceeds that they were going to give to the Lord and lying to God about it? Greedy for the money. Greedy for the gain. And God judges them and strikes them dead in church. Do we not read in, in Joshua chapter 7 Achan what does Achan do? He covets and longs for, that, for that, uh, the spoil that was meant to be given up to destruction. And he takes some of it. And what does he say? He says, my eyes coveted and therefore I took. And God judged him. He was stoned. What do we read in 2 Kings chapter 5? Elisha's servant Gehazi. Do you recall that story? When Elisha heals Naaman of leprosy, And does it free of charge. Naaman goes away. And Elisha serving Gehazi says, we're not working for free. And I'm paraphrasing here. And he runs after Naaman. And he says, Naaman, my lord, Elisha said to give me some of the money, some gold and silver and articles of clothing. And Gehazi comes back. And Elisha asked him, where'd you go, Gehazi? And he lied. And God struck him right there with leprosy. Brother, we see it all over the Bible. Brethren, we see it. Have we not read of Demas in love with this present present world, deserting the Apostle Paul? Do we not hear of Judas taking for himself out of the money bag, helping himself to it? Do we not see him betraying our Lord for a few pieces of silver, greedy for gain? Brethren, it'll bring you to ruin and destruction. Did we not hear about the third soil when Nick preached? That plant grows up and what did we read? The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things come in and choke out that plant and it proves to be unfruitful. Brethren, do we not read of that rich young ruler who Christ said, sell it all and follow me and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He couldn't let it go. He loved the money. Couldn't do it. Brethren, we see it all over the Bible. We have got to beware, church. We have got to heed the warnings. Over and over again, we see it in Scripture. But, church, that's not how you learned Christ. Christ has taught you. The gospel has changed your heart. Jesus now then teaches his disciples this is what it means to follow after me. And in verse 22, he turns in after the warning of judgment, the warning. He turns to his disciples and he turns from the crowd and now instructs them on discipleship. This is how you ought to live. In verse 22, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a, a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." See Christ, that true shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, passionately exhorting and teaching his little flock how to live. He teaches them and he says about anxiety and worry, do not be anxious about your life. Brethren, anxiety about the bank account will rob the Christian of his joy. It'll rob you, church. It'll rob the Christian of thankfulness. It'll rob you of contentment. When your eyes are on the bank account, it'll rob your zeal for the kingdom. It'll rob the Christian of faith in Christ. Brother, it'll blind you and it'll harden your heart. I know that because this is my battle in my own heart, brother, and I've felt it, I've seen it in my own life. When my eyes are on the bank account, my eyes are not fixed upon the kingdom, they're not on Christ, they're on my worries. There's no need to be anxious. God will care for his own. That's what he says. He says, consider the ravens. Now, notice here. To the Jews, ravens are unclean birds and they're ugly. Okay? He does not say, consider this beautiful butterfly or this beautiful, you know, whatever. You fill in the blank. This beautiful animal. Of course God takes care of the animal. It's beautiful. Consider the raven. Unclean and ugly. And God provides for that. Think of those pigeons out here. They're unclean and they're ugly. And God provides for them, brethren. How do I know that? Because every, every Monday morning when I'm looking out my window, the birds are outside chewing up and eating up all the crumbs that we leave from Sunday night. God provides for them, brother. I can testify to that. And if he, And if he provides for that unclean, dirty animal, will he not so much provide for you? Church, of course he will. God cares for His own. Are you not of more value than a bird? Of course you are. You were made in the image of God. You've been bought. You've been bought with the blood of Christ. He cares for you, Church. Worry and anxiety do not accomplish anything. That's what he says in verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Brethren, of course no one could add a single hour to his, to his span of life. Uh, an alternate reading here would say that you can add a single cubit to his stature, can make yourself 18 inches taller. Brethren, you can't do that. I've tried. Okay? You can't do it. It's impossible. You're not going to do it. You can try all you want ain't getting any taller. All right? But brethren, worry won't accomplish anything. But you know what it will accomplish? You'll worry yourself right out of the kingdom. Do not worry. Do not be anxious, brethren. Look at what he says. Then he says in verse twenty-six: If then you are not able by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life, if you excuse me, twenty-six. If, if then you are not able to do a smallest thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, of how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Brethren, do not be like those pagan nations." Don't be like those unbelieving people striving after wealth, living a life of material, materialism, pursuing the things that are physical, storing it up, rejecting God, striving for wealth as an end to itself. Brethren, we need food. You need to work. You need to seek after these things, but they're not an end in themselves. Life is more than that. Do not be like all the nations Ignoring and rejecting God. Don't get sucked into materialism thinking that the one who has the most stuff at the end wins. That's a life in the pit of hell. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Instead, brethren, instead, seek His kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom's priorities. The priority of the Christian ought not be chasing after wealth, having bigger and better barns, living up a life of luxury and ease, and storing up treasure for self. The Christian ought to be about the advancement of the kingdom. And brethren, if God blesses you, and He gives you a good job, and you have a lot of money, praise God, use it for the kingdom. Use it, brethren. Where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And by the grace of God, He has blessed a lot of you in here with extra wealth and extra money. Praise Him. Use it for the kingdom. Use it, brethren. Use it. Seek the good for Christ's kingdom. And the promise is all those things will be added unto you. Brethren, that is, that's easy to read. That's a whole other thing to believe it. That is hard at times to believe. That God will not abandon you. But has He forsaken you up to this point? Never. Not once. Ever. Never. Never. He's faithful, brethren. And and you know what? He might not be providing your needs the way you want them provided for, but you better believe it. He's taking care of your needs. He's caring for you. He is pleased to do so, brethren. Seek His kingdom. That is the priority for the people of God the advancement of His kingdom, not the building up of our own, brethren. Not the building up of our own. And then he says in verse 32 here, Fear not, little flock. Oh, the tenderness of Christ. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Brethren, fear not. If God will provide the small things that are needed, how much more will He not give you the kingdom? Of course He will. If He's going to give you the the bigger thing, the kingdom, will He not provide the small thing for you? Of course He will, brethren. He will. He will provide your needs. Now, this kingdom is a promise of both now and the future. It is a promise now. He will give you the kingdom now. You will enter in by faith. Enter into His kingdom. And at the end, you will inherit the kingdom like we read in Matthew 25. Come, come. You blessed of my Father and inherit the kingdom that's prepared for you. And for the disciples, here in, in the immediate context, we have to understand that the kingdom was on the verge. It was on the verge of being established. It was at arm's length. It was near. It was right there. And for them, Jesus is teaching them that if you have your eyes fixed on money, if you have your eyes fixed on wealth, upon heaping up treasure for yourself, you're going to miss the kingdom. Do not miss the kingdom. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't worry yourself with storing up treasure. And brethren, for us, if we are seeking material gain, if we are desiring more and more wealth, that desire will outweigh our desire for the kingdom. Do you see that? If we are concerned and consumed in and of ourselves, striving after wealth, those desires will outweigh your desire for of and for the kingdom. And you will not inherit it, brethren. What does Paul say in First Corinthians 6? The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you have both. You have a present reality now and you have a future one. The Father promises you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's His good pleasure to give it to you. It's by grace. Church, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. Christ, teaching tenderly to His people. Fear not, little flock. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brother, when we're investing in the kingdom of God, our heart's desire will want to see that kingdom grow and expand and grow and expand. But if our treasure is wrapped up and chasing after this world, that's where your heart's going to go. Brethren, you can't serve two masters. Many people try. You can't do it. Christ said you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to despise the one and be faithful to the other. You cannot serve God in money. Brethren, do not worry. Don't be anxious. Church, let us be found as a people rich toward the things of God. Let us be found as a people rich in faith, rich in good works as Paul instructs the rich in First Timothy chapter 6. Let us be a people rich in prayer, rich in, in, in holiness, rich in going out into the community and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Let us be rich in the things of God, brethren. Let us be rich as a church. We just had a meeting the other night about what we want to do with investing the money that God has blessed us, blessed this little church with, seeking God's favor and fasting and prayer. Lord, teach us, show us. This money belongs to you. We want to invest it into the kingdom. We need to be rich as a church in the things of God. And you need to be rich in the things of God individually. Brethren, fear not. The good shepherd knows where to lead his sheep to green pastures. He knows where they are, brethren. And church, may we heed the warnings. Do not be a fool. Concern yourself with the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And do not let your desires for wealth and luxury and ease and heaping it up for yourself to cause you to miss it. Because it is your Father's good pleasure to give it to you. Let's pray.